Fellas, have you started your spring cleaning yet? The carpets need cleaning, the drapes need dusting, and your lawn needs mowing. Spring has sprung, and the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming have the best tools for cleaning aisle 5 in your pants. Time to clear out your winter brush and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off, plus free shipping with promo code GWC. Once again, manscaped.com, 20% off and free shipping on everything site-wide with my special promo code GWC. Hello everyone, and welcome back to an ongoing series where we're shining a light on some people who have some interesting projects coming out regarding Canadian professional wrestling history and Canadian history as well. As with the flagship program Grappling with Canada, I'm your host, The Taxman, and I'm looking forward to bringing today's special episode to each and every one of you a couple of days before the next episode of the aforementioned flagship show of Grappling with Canada is released. Before we get into my special guest tonight, just want to make mention that you can find Grappling with Canada as well as these special programs on any podcasting platform of your choosing, whether that's Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, basically wherever you buy, sell, trade, barter, or steal your favorite podcasts, you will find Grappling with Canada. And you will find these special episodes. Now, today's showcase is focusing on an upcoming biography on two influential people from Canadian professional wrestling history. Now, these two individuals are not they themselves Canadian. However, you cannot talk about Stampede Wrestling, Western Canadian professional wrestling, and the footprint left by these individuals after their big debuts in Stampede Wrestling. Of course, I'm talking about the British Bulldogs. Now, to join me in the discussion today is the author of the upcoming biography, Dynamite and Davy: The Explosive Lives of the British Bulldogs. I'm happy to have Stephen Bell on the line today. He's going to be discussing his time writing the book, all the research that went into a project like this, what the Bulldogs meant to him, as well as some interesting anecdotes and some dealings with uh, individuals of the Stampede Wrestling family, we'll say. Now, there's a part of the conversation that I feel I need to preface before I jump into the conversation. I ask Stephen a specific question regarding family involvement and hesitation in regards to the British Bulldogs story. Now, this question was asked because, as many people know, there are less than favorable aspects of the British Bulldogs story. Unfortunately, these are the ones that seem to get a lot more attention, if you will, in certain forms of media. Therefore, 
I completely understand am, and am completely empathetic that uh, members of the families, uh, friends of the Bulldogs, etc., would be hesitant to lend their uh, memories and expertise to a project like this simply because, unfortunately, families, friends have been burnt in the past by, um, we'll say, wrestling media. Unfortunately, this is not a new issue and something that I've come into contact with quite a bit in regards to the flagship program Grappling with Canada. In fact, that's going to be a thread that is going to permeate the next few episodes of the flagship program, starting with our episode coming out on April 1st. So, before we get into the interview, I just wanted to lay the groundwork that when that question comes up, it's not to disparage any family or friends who did not want to be a part of the project because they were worried that the project was going to, we'll say, twist their words around. And I think Stephen does an excellent job of kind of explaining the nuances dealing with family and friends uh, in regards to sensitive subjects like this. And the way that he explains it is quite excellent. And the way that he went about it, in my opinion, is uh, is the way it should be. And it's the way that I've tried to uh, present and tackle tricky subject matter in episodes that we have done in the past as well as episodes that we are going to be covering in the future. Because unfortunately, as with everything in life, not everything is just, you know, sunshine, rainbows, and lollipops. Uh, There are the dark sides to everything. How we focus on those portions of the story, I think, is much more important. So I just wanted to clear that up before we get into the episode today. And, And I think you'll understand the path and the mindset and the framework that Stephen used to properly put things into context in terms of the overall story of the British Bulldogs. And I'm really looking forward uh, to each and every one of you hearing Stephen describe what really turned out to be uh, a passion project to be quite frank, and uh, and you'll tell by his voice, he is uh, he's very excited for it, and I'm excited for him uh, to get this thing out there and really kind of set the record straight on a few different things. But before we get into that, just want to quickly uh, shout out our sponsors of the show, Manscaped. Now, Manscaped has the full package you need for spring cleaning this year. The Performance Package 4.0 is the only tool that you need to keep your boys looking and smelling like the fresh tulips that your partner wants. To start up your spring cleaning, use the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer to get the most precise shave on your hedges. Oh, and it is waterproof, so don't worry about watering your grass with this tool. Equipped with an LED light so you know it'll be a major asset to the new shower routine. Clear all your hose and smell the spring air with the Weed Whacker. This nose and hair ear trimmer provides proprietary skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks snags and tugs in those delicate holes and after cleaning your nose make sure you get rid of that foul ball smell with the crop reserver and crop reviver the crop reserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer 
the Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner for your gimmicks. And make sure you finish off your grooming routine with the Plow 2.0, the perfect razor for the finest shave on your face. Unless you like looking like a caveman like me. <laughs> because if you're using the Lawnmower 4.0 on your balls and face, boys, you are doing it wrong. So, simply go to manscaped.com, use promo code GWC, that'll get you 20% off everything site-wide and free shipping. Once again... Manscaped.com, promo code GWC for 20% off everything site-wide and free shipping. Now, without further ado, my conversation with author Stephen Bell. Please enjoy. All right, very pleased to be joined on the line today by the author of the soon-to-be-released book, Dynamite and Davy: The Explosive Lives of the British Bulldogs. Joining me today is author Stephen Bell. Stephen, how you doing? Um, great, thank you. Andy, thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure. And it's funny, most of the program that I do is geared towards Canadian professional wrestling history, and you cannot talk about the professional wrestling history, especially in Western Canada, without bringing out, bringing up, I should say, the British Bulldogs. But before we get into all of that and your research and writing towards the book, uh, Stephen, let's hear about a little bit about yourself and your relationship with professional wrestling. Um, well, yeah, uh, I am a long-time professional wrestling fan from the UK, as everybody's obviously guessed by now. Um, but being in my mid, heading towards mid to late 30s now, unfortunately, um, <laughs> my, my childhood memories are mostly of, you know, the early 90s WWF uh, that we all loved and was sort of heavily geared towards um, a family audience, shall we say, in that era. And, you know, all those kids at that age loved it. So, you know... Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart, and obviously Davy, uh, as he was at that point, and the British Bulldog, as he was at that point, sorry. Um, the Undertaker had just come on the scene. People like that, you know, that, that sort of era, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man. Um, you just could not help but fall in love with that. It just captured everybody's imaginations from my era, my generation. Um, and then, I think, as I got older into my teenage years, I became heavily into football, soccer, sorry, uh, and boxing, and um, wrestling sort of went by wayside. Now, obviously, looking back through all the research and everything that I know now, being almost turned into a bit of a historian on the subject, um, I now know that, obviously, WWF-wise, it was in a lull anyway during that period, so it's probably not just a coincidence that um, a lot of my generation, a lot of my peers at that time... Um, it sort of did disappear a little bit off off our um, immediate sort of list of priorities. I think um, I think it was partly to do with his age, you know, partly thinking we're well, maybe a little bit too cool to to be wrestling fans at yes. that age, and partly it just it just wasn't the same product that it had been. Uh, it was sort of finding itself again. But then when when I reached sort of fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, the attitude era came in different story altogether. Uh, once again, I was well in Vince McMahon's crosshairs as his, <laughs> you know, prime, prime demographic, you know, um, 
for, for that era and so who couldn't possibly love you know uh, Stone Cold and The Rock and obviously Trish Stratus and people like that you know um, so yeah once again they'd absolutely capture my imagination and by that point uh, I, I was becoming far more socially aware uh, far more geographically aware um, just loved the product but also became really I think, I think the first time that it really happened when I really got interested in the behind the scenes stuff was just at that time Mick Foley brought his book out and that really sort of um, knocked, down, knocked down the doors for me in terms of knowing what went off behind the scenes and almost becoming more fascinated with that than the on-screen product um, at the time. And then um, Davey and The Undertaker, I think, were the only two who sort of transcended my two years of fandom, so from being a child, you know, Davey was the British Bulldog, yes. sort of superhero-like character, and The Undertaker was obviously there as well. Um, and them two were still about when I got back into it in sort of 99, 2000. Um, obviously, I didn't know much about what had gone on in between. Um, and so we, me and my brother, I remember getting into, we got into it in such a big way, such a huge way that... Um, one of our, a friend of ours, Adam, made the mistake of thinking he was too cool to be a wrestling fan for them years, and he'd carried on his fandom, and he'd curated a, a huge collection of VHS tapes of all the pay-per-views going all the way back to the original WrestleMania. And um, so we, me and my brother would bring sackloads of his VHS tapes in order. <laughs> uh, and so when we got to obviously WrestleMania 2, and then the following, uh, well, WrestleMania 3 and the following SummerSlams and Survivor Series. Um, that's when I first got introduced to the Dynamite Kid. Now, this is where I was completely naive and completely wrong because because the British Bulldog, as I know him, Davy Boy, was so sort of fresh in my mind as this superstar that, that he was. Uh, I believed at that point that they'd probably just, you know, kind of grabbed. Uh, some um, Brit- any British wrestler that could find to put him with Davey Boy, so they could have the British Bulldogs plural as a tag team. Uh, I sort of weren't, I hadn't become fully aware of the timeline of it all, and I certainly hadn't become aware of who Tom Billiton and the Dynamite Kid was at that point. Uh, so I made that mistake of thinking that almost that Dynamite was Davey's um, just sidekick, if you like, that's the word I'm Like a sidekick. stepping stone uh, almost. And, and, yeah, and then obviously, so then, yeah, a little bit later when I came around to like reading Mick's book, Mick puts Dynamite over as um, probably the best in the world at the time, it calls him during his uh, anecdote about about the Bulldogs. Um, and then sort of reading more magazines, reading more stuff, everything will become more readily available on the internet, which will come in more user-friendly then. Um, I really started doing research. So this is going back over 20 years uh, into just exactly who they were, found out that they were... Um, First cousins, which I thought were fascinating, find out found out that, as I say, because I was going more socially and um, geographically aware of what was going on around me, I found out that they were from a small mining town in the north of England, just like me, uh, only sort of forty five minutes drive away from where I was from. I found that absolutely fascinating. Wow. Because, um, the, the characters that you see that I had always been used to seeing both as a child and in the Attitude Era were all these sort of larger than life from another planet type of uh, people, uh, characters, that it really sort of took me back a little bit that these these two guys were first cousins from a very similar heritage to me. Uh, so that's going back 20 years when I sort of 
met that link and became sort of enamoured with their story a little bit. And um, and then Davy's death really sort of hit me hard. I remember that was just around that time when I was discovering all them things. And um, I'll never forget, you know, people say, I don't know if you have a similar thing uh, in Canada, but I know sort of Princess Diana and Freddie Mercury are the two that I can think of where people say, I suppose, J- I know JFK's one for uh, in the US, but they always say, you remember where you were when you heard that yes. somebody had died. Such the sort of like earth shattering news, uh, and I do. I'll always remember that about Dave. I remember exactly where I was when I had the news, um, and I'd have been like sort of 17 year old then. Um, but then, so I carried on being a huge wrestling fan for, for the years after that, um, and then yeah, uh, it was many years later that I, I sort of stumbled across sports writing. Became a published author, a, a multi-time published author. Everything I've done has been sort of really well received. And when uh, my last book was uh, a pro wrestling, um, a biography of a, a former pro wrestler, British pro wrestler from the pre-war era. Um, but that sort of led to, to me discovering all them the years later after first becoming enamoured with the Bulldog story. Uh, it, it touched into it because it was about how um, it, it's the biography of Douglas Clark, who was um, the British World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, sorry, the British Heavyweight Champion in the 1930s, and even held a version of the World Heavyweight Title. He was from my hometown of Huddersfield, and um, he it was him winning that British Title tournament that made uh, pro wrestling so huge in the north of England. And then in the post-war years. Um, when there was economic struggles um, around this area, that's when a lot of uh, your shooters sort of got into the pro business. And um, yeah, Ted Betley was one of them. And then Ted Betley, years later, after retirement, uh, opened his own gym and started training local youngsters. And that included uh, Tom Billington and then later included David Boy. Uh, so that research sort of touched base, and it felt a bit like sort of a bit like serendipity. And when that that book did really, really well, it was really well received. Um, and when the publisher came to me and sort of said, "What what's next?" It just sort of felt inevitable that I'd, um, I'd, I, I was kind of surprised still that the bulldog story hadn't been done because I know so much about it already, and um, what a great story it was. Um, the fact it still haven't been done, I've got a publisher there offering me to um, basically pick whatever I wanted to do next. <laughs> um, it, felt, it, just, it just felt inevitable that that's what I was going to do. It's you know, there, There's two points you brought up that are very fascinating I want to circle back to. One is uh, just in regards to, you know, you write your first book, there's the, the tendrils that kind of draw you into uh, the British Bulldogs story that obviously, like you just said, makes it a natural fit to go right into writing the uh, the British Bulldog story. It's it's interesting to hear, even from across the pond, right, uh, with my program, Grappling with Canada, it's every, every month's episode, although these people seemingly have nothing to do with one another, there's always something that draws someone to somebody else later on in a season, or someone to somebody else even in, in a, a different episode or whatever, that you would have no idea that they would be drawn together, but there is those tendrils. So very fascinating to hear uh, your side of it, uh, seeing these connections between uh, wrestling generations 
and also you know the way that you would research uh these individuals to put together in a biography so kudos to you for those ones and then the other point that you brought up i think you're in the same boat as many of us because we're we're roughly the same age but we're all wrestling fans in like the early 90s we kind of fell off when the whole cartoon era was happening and then you know scott hall walks out on on wcw and, and everything is different again right and and it's interesting that for you and myself personally speaking that you know we watch the attitude era then then we really get into the history portion of it which i find is the more fascinating aspect of everything and the, the one thing that you brought up is the books that are out there and it's interesting because you touched on Mick Foley's book because he he obviously had a big big portion of uh, Dynamite Kid in his. Uh, I believe it was the first book, right? Have a nice day. Was was that the one yes. that had that? Yes. So yeah. so there's that. Uh, Bret Hart uh, wrote a lot about Davy and uh, and Tom in his book. Um, obviously Heath McCoy's Pain and Passion. There's a lot about the Bulldogs, but there's never been a dedicated biography of the. British Bulldogs until now. No, and um, that was obviously something that I could see was massively missing from from people's bookshelves, wrestling fans and wrestling readers' bookshelves. Um, as I say, I, I, I just think it's such a unique story with them being first cousins and from the heritage that they're from to go on and take the world in the way that they did, um, being you know smaller men at that time in that land of giants so many aspects to it um are so fascinating and i think so unique i think uh, a lot of wrestlers stories have got whilst they've all got their own unique nuances to them I, I just think and that's other than i think the main reason i went for the name the explosive lives of the british bulldogs was um, obviously the play on words with dynamite but i also do think it's got an explosiveness about it um in terms of them exploding onto the scene the way they did from yes their, from their background, the way they did, the way they just took Calgary by storm and then they took Japan by storm um, and the WWF then by storm and the tag team division uh, by storm. Uh, I really think that there's a uh, yeah a, a requirement for that sort of explosiveness and, and that link to be there in the title. Um, but, yeah, uh, come on, what were your question again, Andy? I've gone off on my own tangent. <laughs> no, that's okay. But I just, I was fascinated that for as many books and people uh, yes. who have who have Sorry, touched yes. on the British Bulldogs that this is the first yes, sort yes. of accounting, Sorry, well, right? I think because of the um, sad way in which their relationship ended um, and kind of the sad way in which both their lives ended as well. Um, obviously, Tom had released his book shortly before Davy died and um, was really quite damning of Davy in a lot of ways. Yes. Uh, when he wrote that in 1999, um, that I, I don't think it could have ever been done, be it in a book form or a documentary form, whatever it might be. I don't think it could have ever been done almost while one of them was still alive because as as the researcher or the author or the, the documenter, you would have been required, if you'd have done it in, if it had been done in 2015, 2014, 2015, uh, while, while Tom was still alive, he, there would have been a requirement on you for Tom to be your um, main 
part of research. Yes. Uh, and I think at that point, you've already sort of skewed your narrative slightly if you're wanting to make it completely ba- balanced about them as a pair. Um, and so, yeah, unfortunately, I do think it could have only really been done after they both passed away um, or while they're both still alive. Obviously, Dave sadly dying so prematurely that, that there were never an opportunity for that to happen either. So, uh, yeah, I think that's why it's took so long to come around. And again, I think it was just sort of serendipitous that I was there at that point um, in the point in my writing career that I am. Uh, and I just sort of finished that um, wrestling biography that I'd done, which had ended up teetering on the same subject. And uh, yeah, um, it, it just felt like the right time to do it. One aspect that you just brought up is the how easy it could be to skew a project like this. And uh, this is an issue that I've had even in my own programs, because we've dealt with some subject matter that is uh, very dark, uh, including some upcoming episodes that really, they're stories that are hard to hear and hard to, to wrap your head around. And it's, it's very difficult to present these stories factually and fairly without including any of the pre-existing bias we'll say how difficult was it for you writing this book and trying to separate the biases from the factual portions of the stories that you encountered <laughs> oh extremely difficult you worded that question wonderfully and it has been extremely difficult and it's got more difficult as it's gone along to be honest because i think with any um, project like this it it evolves as you're going through it, I remember doing, um, as, as all authors should do, um, for budding authors listening, you'll give yourself as rounded uh, knowledge base on the subject matter as you possibly can or you feel like you possibly can do at that point uh, and do yourself a real well-structured um overview of what you're going to do and i did that in the form of a chapter list that i'm going to do and i mean i only started off thinking it was with 25 when i did it at that point i've ended up with 44 chapters <laughs> I think. Um, yeah it's just easy it, I, I i originally declared that i wanted it to be under a thousand words it's ended up being hundred and twenty-five thousand words so you can see where i'm going with this it's sort yes. of evolved as time went um as i found out more but also wanted to edit for, for every bit of controversy that I put in there or every negative story about either Dino or David I want to add as much context as possible I don't want to just it to be seem like I'm jumping on some kind of bandwagon you know um, I, I'm just repeating um, ESA that's been said it past um, you know negative things that I'd only sort of got from one source that unless it were really robust um, I didn't include just because, if, you know, depending on how negative it was, just because I thought, well, you know, I, I don't want to just sort of it to appear like I'm just repeating that for the sake of repeating it. Yeah. So I would always try and verify things if they were of a negative or controversial nature. Um, and as I say, it's all about context. And I think, you know, when you hear these sound bites, be it in shoot interviews or in other books, if you read them in other books, um, if it's like from somebody's third party uh, point of view, so it might be in their book and it's just an anecdote about Dynamo or Davy, for example. Um, you haven't got the context, you don't know where it is in the timeline 
of Dynamite and or Davey. Uh, you don't know what was going on in their life at the time. You don't know the context. So what I've tried to do is not just take that soundbite uh, and leave it in isolation. I've tried to link all them together uh, to create this sort of roller coaster ride um, and explain to people what was going on in their lives at that time and the issues that they were dealing with at any one particular time. I, I think. It, sorry, I think go ahead. A lot of people will go. On. No, I was going to say I, I love the attention to detail to, you know, cross-link uh, these sound bites with what has factually happened in the past. Because, and, and this is something that I've brought up and, and encountered myself, is this whole idea of sensationalism in wh- whatever the medium is. Obviously, the one we're talking about today is is writing and, and specifically doing the biographies. It's so easy to get wrapped up in the sensational headlines and kind of lose sight of what the actual end game is. So I love to hear that you have taken these uh, different kind of things that have been out there in the ether and really try to expand upon and put them into the timeline and add the context behind them because it's very easy to hear things and just run with it and never, never hear the backstory of it. And Lord knows people have heard, you know, kind of the negative stories about the British Bulldogs in, in the past, because, you know, unfortunately negativity is, is so easy to just, it's, it's just lazy reporting, right? You, anybody can go and find all the negative stuff and put it in there. And it's, there's your book or whatever. And it's, and it's, it's garbage and people like yourself and myself and many of the listeners of this program would be able to right away spot that for what it is. So I appreciate that you're not shying away from that, that you're actually taking the time to in-depth explore why it happened, where it came from, and where it fits into the overall story. Yeah, and, and what I've got from that, um, by doing that, I think I've... Uh, I, I remember the first time I spoke about that exactly, almost almost word for word as we spoke about it, was with Ross Hart, and um, I think that's where we made a connection. I think he, he understood straight away where I was coming from, what I wanted to do uh, in regards to that. And that's why we built up such a fantastic relationship. And um, what I thought was initially just going to be sort of a, maybe a three or four hour interview session with Ross, where he would, you know, give me a lot of his opinions, a lot of his thoughts, some anecdotes, uh, like I'd already done with Bruce Hart. Um, What that turned into with Ross was this turned into almost a daily thing at one point, but probably more weekly on average, back and forth via email. I would send him almost a list of things. Look, um, uh, you know, so questions or subject matters. Do you know anything about this? Can you verify that? Yes. Um, and it would, it would send me huge in-depth, um, you know, if he knew, if he didn't know, he'd just don't be honest, I'm not sure about that one, uh, but it would send me these sort of huge in-depth um, replies, tell me everything he knew, down to the finest detail that I knew it. I loved how um, his memory is so fantastic, uh, and he got these sort of finer details down uh, on on the issues that he was there and present for. Um, and so that immediately gave me this uh, a little bit of confidence, where I thought, right, I've, I've got this immediate sort of sounding board. I had uh, a similar thing with Bronwyn Billington, Tom's daughter. Um, obviously, she was very young at the time, uh, but 
she would quite happily go and uh, ask her mum, Michelle, um, questions on my behalf or uh, anybody else really questions on my behalf and she would sort of come back to me with uh, a little bit of a report or, or, or whatever. Um, so I'd, I'd got this, that, that's when it really started to evolve as I was talking about earlier and expand um, because I was getting new and exclusive stuff. Ross put me in touch with Keith who gave me this brilliant exclusive um, story that uh, I didn't know and I think it really, it's quite early on in the book and I think it really sets up quite a lot of threads that, that, that run throughout the book. I'm so proud of that. Um, and yeah, that, that's where it really started to, to snowball and grow legs of its own. So, you know, they were another chapter here, an extended chapter there, next thing, um, where, where I thought I'd got lots and lots of time. I, I suddenly found deadline, deadline, day, <laughs> sort of, a little, a little bit, a little bit intimidating, but, um, yeah, I'd, I'd so I'd, the people in mind that I wanted to be involved in, uh, I got most of them, uh, to be involved in, certainly with Ross and Bronwyn. Uh, I asked them to write the foreword and afterword, respectively, partly because the the effort and commitment shown, um, and sharing the vision, I think, is the the ultimate thing for me that I appreciated from them. You know, I, I explained early on, uh, right from the word go, that I weren't going to shy away from the controversies, but um, I wanted to apply as much context as I possibly could, and I wanted to tell it in a way that it had never been told before. Uh, so I shared that vision. And uh, came on board and was so helpful um, that I felt like the names almost deserved to be on the cover alongside mine. And so uh, there they are as forward writer and afterward writer. Uh, and so that's when I really knew it had come together better than I ever hoped, really. Yes, meeting deadlines is uh, unfortunately something I'm very, very familiar with on a monthly basis. So I know, I know how frustrating it can be when you're you know, you think you got something and you're waiting and you're waiting and you you can't wait anymore and you got to go with, with it. So I can appreciate uh, the time and effort uh, that you've put in and, and what that really takes and how much of a toll it takes on your, uh, you know, kind of procedures moving forward with, with the project. So uh, if anybody understands that, it's me. So I, I can fully appreciate where you're coming from in that regard. Uh, one thing that you brought up is... A little bit of interaction with the family and this possibly will be a loaded question but I'm gonna phrase it in a way that I don't think is going to be uh, able to be taken out of context if you will so we've heard in wrestling history we'll say that some families are more involved with narratives that are presented than others when you were writing the book how did you feel about what the families thought about what you were doing first off? And second off, did you feel any pressure from the families without getting specific uh, to tell a certain narrative of the tales that were put in the story? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. There has been, there has been a little bit, of that, yes. Um, I was very um, sort of conscious about what um, about how it might come across and what the intentions were. And I wanted to. I was always very careful about how I worded uh, worded things, and I think um, I'll, I'll use Bronwyn as the example 
I'd reached out to Bronwyn, I think, with maybe an email and a direct message. I never heard anything back from her, and it took my um, in-depth conversation with Ross, in which I fully explained everything and where I wanted to come from. Uh, and then Bronwyn, out of the blue, got in touch with me and said, Ross has been in touch with me and told me that, you know... So I think all the guards are a little bit up that you just, you know whatever you, you you're gonna pull everything through dirt again or whatever it might be yes so so it did take a little bit of sort of breaking down them boundaries with some uh, I, I didn't unfortunately again we know I won't talk about anybody specific at all but I didn't manage to sort of break down them boundaries with some people some people still um, so I didn't want to contribute and didn't think that it was sort of a necessary thing to to be doing um so uh, yeah and that and that came with it sort of some a, a little bit of third party pressure to um to not include certain things or to present things in a certain way um which i i understand and i get and you know i um compromised as much as sort of uh, i felt comfortable with yes um, and that's, you know, it's an issue that I've come across as well uh, in regards to, you know, the podcast program. You know, there are a lot of people who are genuinely happy to get their, whether it's their family member or it's their friend or whatever, to get the story out there, right? Warts and all, because... You know, and not everybody, we're not all Jesus, right? Nobody's lived a perfect life, right? And, and, you know, there's that whole, you know, don't throw stones if you live in a glass house thing, which I think really applies in in a, a broader context with programs like this. But again, when you're coming from a position like yourself, where you're trying to really portray the story truthfully, honestly fairly but also accurately and accuracy is is the big word uh that i can circle back to and really hit the hammer on the head for for your book and how yes there there's the warts and all but here's why it happened here's the broader story of why it happened rather than just hearing you know and again i know i mentioned it earlier right you know, just hearing a negative story and then it's carried on. And I understand why some some friends and family would be shied away from getting involved in a program because they don't, they've been burned before, right? And I understand that people can be leery about being burned again. So I hope that the ones who had reservations uh, will go out of their way to read the book and actually see the work and the care that was put in by yourself. Yeah, um, I, I, that's sort of out of my control. Um, I think that we've sort of got to the point where we've got to with that, and um, I just you know respect them, respect all their opinions, everybody's opinion. Um, I, I think where I was coming from, um, as I say, I, I just tried to be as open and honest and clear about it from. Uh, from the word go as I could be. I, I think, you know, Ross has written the forward and Ross 
goes out of his way to mention in the forward that he thinks it's sort of the most balanced um, view and retrospective um, of the Bulldog story that that's been done, be it as, you know, even though it's never been done um, as the primary subject matter on anything really, you know, yes. it's obviously a pit. It's appeared in a lot of other people's books, and uh, and yeah, I was so pleased to write that. There was obviously zero um, coercion for, from me for <laughs> Ross to write anything, anything that he might write. But he brought a tear to my eye when he sent me what he'd, what he'd written. It brought a tear to me. I genuinely did because I'd spent so long agonising over getting that balance right. It was something that me and Ross had spoke about so much, uh, and. When I saw that he'd written them words, it sort of made me feel like I'd probably got that about right. Um, I think treading that line so carefully meant that there were always going to be people who thought it should be more more one way or more the other way. Um, I was I, 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 Looking back now and knowing what I know now, um, I was never going to please everybody. And I, yes. Fortunately, I, I tried desperately. Um, but... <laughs> Now, as we're, we'll kind of switch gears a little bit because in terms of the sheer amount of information out there, I can only imagine the dossiers and uh, files and everything that you would have had in, in regards of your uh, research for the project. But without giving uh, naturally a whole bunch of the story away, because I encourage everybody to go to their way to uh, pre-order, order, get their hands on the book. Um, was there one story that you found in your research that A, you didn't know before, and B, you thought was really integral to telling the story? Was there one specific thing, or is it something where the you know you felt you researched one thing which led you to another, which led you to another? Uh, there were a lot of that, um, and as we said earlier, it's amazing how the the sort of sound bites and the headline things that people will already know about linked together in such weird ways. So um, I found out in in both Bruce Hart's book and Ian Brett book, uh, they talk about the fact that Tom really opposed Davy coming over when, when it was first muted that Bruce was going to bring over Davy. Um, nobody ever really why so I, I think I, I think I managed to get to the bottom of that which I think people will uh, be interested to find out and just so, even though it's only a small thing I think uh, there's so many of them small things so I found out so much more about the trademarking issue you know I think a lot of people yes. know about that but I think the, the, the sort of almost lazy story is that David trademarked the name behind Tom's back and then sort of used it against him and um, my research tells me that's not the case. Um, I think people will be really interested to read uh, what I found out about that and uh, how I present that. Uh, so a lot of these sort of small things that are integral to the bigger things, if you know what I mean, I think that's that's what I'm most proud of, uh, the way I've put it together. Um, it, it sort of leaves all these, um, these sort of lazy tropes that have gone around over the years or... Um, you know, assumptions that have been made and a bit of Chinese whispers where things have been said. Well, I'll say that these days. Um, where things have been said um, 
and then repeated slightly different and then repeated again slightly different and again slightly different. Um, yes. Uh, I think there's been a lot of that going on over the years and I've, hopefully I've shredded some of that away. Uh, so yeah, an awful lot of the small detail, which I think uh, enhances the bigger detail. Well, I for one can't wait for uh, for getting my hands on a copy of this book. Uh, two things before we start to wrap up. When is the book due for release, and how are people going to be able to get their mitts on this book? Right, so um, in the UK, it's only a couple of weeks away, April the 11th. Um, the US and Canada, it's the 1st of July, which is a bit of a wait. However, um, there is two mechanisms in place that um, you can get it earlier, and that's through my own website, which is uh, stephenbellwrites.com. Um, the signed copies available there. Uh, you can, you know, ask me to put any message on it you want or anything like that. Um, and um, I've just set up. So I knew I was doing this podcast. I've just set up a uh, a twenty percent off promo code, which is Taxman Twenty. Tremendous. Uh, rather, ironic, rather ironic, I suppose. The Taxman getting money <laughs> off. Um, so, uh, so yeah, if you go on that and you can use the promo code TAXMAN20, uh, 20% off, um, obviously the, that will counteract the sort of postage fee that's inevitably on that because it's got to come over from me directly from over here. Um, the other way that you've, the other option that you've got is to contact Bronwyn Billington. Um, she is acting as uh, a bit of a vendor for the book uh, over in Calgary, uh, she's going to get some stock to sell. And uh, if you contact her on Twitter, she's Dynamite Doll. Um, she can. She's going to be doing signed copies, signed from herself uh, as well. So that's that's also another option that will enable you to get it. Hopefully, by uh, either of them two options, will enable you to get it. Hopefully, by the end of April. So stephenbellwrites.com is uh, is the direct access to uh, yourself for some signed copies. I think that's that's super cool. I appreciate that you're you're adding that little wrinkle in there. Yeah, great. What's well, an idea I had before I came on? So uh, yeah, I, I want to make it as accessible immediately to as many people as possible. And uh, I'm a bit disappointed when uh, I don't know the sort of politics and that that goes on behind it, but. The publisher really tried hard to make it so that it was the same worldwide release, but it, it just couldn't be done different. Um, it has to have a different sort of process for every country that it goes in. Uh, but I really wanted it to be accessible to everybody um, at the same time. So that's why I set up these couple of different options that people might have. Tremendous. And once again, use that promo code TAXMAN20 and uh, save yourself a couple of bucks on a tremendous book that I cannot wait to get my hands on. Uh, Stephen, before I let you go, where can everybody get in touch with yourself outside of the website, uh, stephenbellwrites.com? Uh, well, I am at Stephen underscore Bell1985. I've already given me age away, so I won't worry about that. Um, on Twitter, uh, that's Stephen underscore Bell1985. Uh, but I've also set up a uh, dedicated Twitter page for the book, which is Dynamite and Davy, or at Bulldogs Book 123. Uh, and I put some exclusive up on that a couple of times a week. I'll put, you know, a, a little excerpt from the book or uh, 
uh, exclusive power that I've been given by a family member that may or may not be in the book um, with some background story behind it. So yeah, there's, it's gone down really well, some exclusives um, on that. So yeah, if you give that a follow and uh, yeah, or my own personal one, feel free to get in touch regarding any book orders or anything else. And if you look in the show notes of today's episode, you will also see all the ways that you can uh, get in touch with Steve and follow his various social medias. Listen, Stephen, this was tremendous. I cannot wait for the release of the book. Uh, props to you for all the research uh, and information that you are including in the book and all of the uh, stories are going to be cleared up. I can't wait to get my hands on it. And uh, thank you very much for coming on the program today. No, thanks for having me. Thank you. Before we get out here for tonight, I just really want to again thank Stephen Bell for coming on the program to discuss his upcoming biography on Dynamite and Davy. Uh, this book honestly just sa- has me salivating to learn more about the British Bulldogs and uh, and the true story of what happened in and outside the ring with them. Once again, you can go on to Stephen Bell's website, use the promo code TAXMAN20. For 20% off your order, you can find a link to that in the show notes for today's episode. You can contact me at 6 underscore podcast on Twitter. You can email me 6sidepod at gmail.com. I read everything you guys send. You can find us on the Facebook group, Canadian Professional Wrestling History. You can also like the Grappling with Canada Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram. Simply search for Grappling with Canada on YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash Six Sided Podcast. And you can also find links to support this program in the link tree link. That's a lot of ways to say link. I, <laughs> oh boy, that's good stuff. But anyways, you can find all of those links, uh, there it is again, available in the show notes for today's episode. As well, you can also find ways to support the show via merchandise. Grapplingwithcanada.threadless.com is where you can pick up your merchandise for today's program. But until next time, which will be April 1st, if you're listening to this before then, For my guest tonight, Stephen Bell, I'm your host as usual, The Taxman, saying take care of yourselves and each other. See you folks in a couple of days.